whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. It's the 1980s with the Literary License Podcast retrospective of 80s horror films with your co-hosts Joe Radazzo, Vicky Ray, John Wilson, and Keith Shago keeping everything tubular and rad. You're not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. I'm your number one fan. Merry Christmas, kittens and guys, and this is the LL Podcast coming at you direct from the UK. And oh my god, like it's our special holiday cheer where we're taking talking about two totally rad films that will not make you gag on a chainsaw. As you put the pedal to the metal, we'll be discussing the totally psyched 80s, which will include the totally bitchin' not a sequel, not a prequel, but an equal shock treatment from 1981, and a comic book film without a comic book streets of fire. So fasten your seatbelts so we give you a bit of ooh shock treatment while you're bitching in the kitchen. Vicky will do a bit of snip, snip, snip as she gets into her little black dress. We'll be going nowhere fast while we dream about you, our loyal fans, because tonight is what it means to be young. Tonight, our program, we have Craig Johnson. Hello, Craig. Hello, everybody from the lovely little village of East Finchley in North London. <laughs> <laughs> and we have David Grant. Hello, David. Hello. Welcome also from the beautiful little hamlet known as East Finchley. <laughs> and it's myself, Kishago, here, and I'm in North Finchley. So, yay, we're all <laughs> the beautiful <laughs> hamlet. Two stops away on the tube from each other. <laughs> and any fancy have they decorated for Christmas because they have it in my end eventually no no they put not. a lovely little Christmas tree up outside Budgeons which I think is sponsored by the Archer yeah. community yeah. newspaper and on top of the tree there is an Archer um, fairy, fairy light yeah. which is also the famous statue statues which is on the East Finchley tube station that's Right. Um, reflecting, reflecting oh, that. No and also, vegetarian. I watched um, uh, a boy called Christmas. On, oh, yeah, right. On, um, I've, I've seen the adverts for it, and I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And the first scene is a bus from North Finchley Keith, so it's right up your street. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> yeah. I never take the bus. <laughs> don't think every time I take the bus, it gets. Stuck in bloody's golden green, you don't want to get stuck yeah, in yeah, yeah. green. Get stuck the traffic doesn't move <laughs> unless it's a Friday evening and then it's free traveling. It's like a free sale. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the right. night buses are really like the night bus in Harry Potter. So it is. It is. You go take the sleeping bag and uh, mulled wine and a sandwich and shoulder pads and shoulder pads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But so, yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, I have to learn to say that we don't really have the Christmas lights in the streets or anything. London doesn't seem to be done no. that here. The the kind of little of areas. Mm. Some of nice. this year. Yeah. So, I guess we're all <laughs> amaconned out, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. No, no crimbo. No crimbo. Yeah. Omicron com crimbo. Yeah. So, um, what have you both been up to? Let's start with you, Craig. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Uh, I've, I've still been doing a lot of my merchandise and um, I've got some stuff at craigsworld.org. Um, my Etsy site's doing all right. On um, If you search Craigsworld on Etsy, you can check out some of my um, artwork and stuff. Me and Dave have got a joint exhibition at the Cup of Joy restaurant in East Finchley High Road. Um, they're a Turkish restaurant. They do some lovely food there, so check them out. And um, I've been, I watched, um, I actually watched a, a Doctor Who from 1987 called Dragonfire, <laughs> which actually stars um, as, as Bellage, um, the the um, the sister, for Patricia Quinn. Oh. Um, and she she's just brilliant she she's just really she's 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 such a bit of she's such a diva mm-hmm. um i don't know if she's a dame now or something like that but she's quite um i think she's quite uh, she's got an accolade of awards and stuff so mm. yeah she um plays one of the officers on ice world which is um a prison planet and it's run by a mercenary named kane and he basically he'll freeze your freeze you to death with his hands and uh, that was from 1987. So I've just been chilling out watching some classic Doctor Who, as I am a major Whovian. <laughs> and uh, David, you've been gigging, haven't you? Uh, I have indeed. We've um, been, uh, unfortunately, like, I mean, things are coming to a, a bit of a close down, like with this uh, thing. Anyway, we don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about something positive. Yeah, I've been uh, playing at the uh, the White Lion. With, there's like an open mic night on a Thursday. That's the old White Lion. That's the old White Lion at uh, East Finchley Station, near East Finchley Station. And some great musicians go down there. Some really cool players, you know. Uh, also, there's a, an open mic night uh, down in the Elephant's Head in Camden, which is another great place to play, you know. Just a great mixture and a, a great crossover mm. of like different players, you know. You get soul singers, you get rock and rollers, you get blues players, you get, you know, Motown. It's just a great, uh, great way to meet musicians, you know, and have good, mm. good fun. Like musicians are the communicators. <laughs> so I've been doing that and also been working on uh, some stuff on Garage Band. I've got uh, 18 songs finished now. So hopefully my friend Craig here is going to help me to get it onto Acid Monk, which is my little yeah, site. That's, that's, you can check out David's um, YouTube channel, Acid Monk. Yeah. And you can see his um, his uh, original my, songs. My on opus. <laughs> my, a lot of acoustic. Yeah, a couple of acoustic opuses there. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's all go, go, go at the moment. <laughs> oh, excellent. Uh, myself, I'm not really doing anything. I'm sorting out um, season six for next year. So getting all those and getting the rights and signing all that stuff off. So so that means looking at a lot of black and white Todd Browning films and Lon Chaney films that are planning Brilliant. for season six and Abbott and Costello Film Festival that are planning for season six. So going through all that and seeing, um, setting up because... Um, 
because we use music for closing credits and sometimes in between our episodes that all that music has to be signed off and it takes sometimes up to three to four months to get these signed off and paid for so yeah so i have to do everything like a year in advance just to make sure everything's ready and ready to be slotted in so but um so yeah so i've been doing a lot of that kind of research and getting all that sorted out and then um yeah, I've just been watching like the new Dexter on Sky, which is good. It's Dexter ten years, um, ten years on from the original series, so I've been watching that. Um, watching a bunch of sixty-year-olds who thought they were relevant in the nineties with Sex and the City now have a new series, so kind of watching that. Um, <laughs> it's been yeah, I don't know. It's a bit too woke for me, so I'll sit back and see how that goes. Um, Dragula's finishing up on Shutter, which if you like. If you like something like RuPaul's, but you want something a bit more scarier and dirtier and filthier, there's a thing called Dragula on Shudder, um, which is basically drag queens dressing up as hor- and hor- disgusting horror, and so there's a lot of blood and stuff, and that's quite good. And the, the finale is next week, so we'll be watching a little bit of that, and then getting stuff ready for Christmas and work and everything like that. So, yeah, not a lot held going on from this end of the world, so... Happy hearts and smiling faces and tolerance for the ethnic races in Denton. You find a rambling rose and a picket fence. Tenderness and innocence in Denton. You'll find conference rooms and a children's playground. Denton is a real okay town. Civic pride and civic duty. And Denton girls are full of beauty. You may call us the goody-goody two-shoes. We're here to cheer you with the good news. D-E-N-T-O-N gets T-E-M, that's If you're looking for a life of leisure, you're gonna get a whole lot to please ya. Again and again. And again and again. And again. Bethlehem of the West This is the birthplace of the virtuous The home of happiness Leisure-wise, I'm sure you will adapt Enjoy your stay, have a happy holiday Have a long good
Sock Trim is a 1981 American musical comedy film directed by Jim Sharman and co-written by Sharman and Richard O'Brien. It is the follow-up to the 1975 film, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Well, not an outright sequel. The film does feature several characters from the previous film, most portrayed by different actors, as well as several Rocky Horror actors in new roles. The film stars Jessica Harper as Janet and Clifty Young as in the dual role of Brad and film's main antagonist, Farley Flavors, with Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn playing sibling characters yet again, as they did in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, we also have now um, Little Now coming back, which is now um, Campbell. She goes by in this film, Little Now, if you remember, she's the top dancing person during um, Time War. She is now the long-legged nurse in this film. We also have Ruby Max making her first film appearance, Rick Mayo and Charles Gray coming back, and Barry Humphreys, who would later on become a cessation as Dame Edna. Um, It was given a limited release on the Midnight Movie Circuit beginning on October 30th, 1981. Shock's treatment was a critical and commercial failure, not earning the same level of cult film status as his predecessor received. In 2015, the film was adapted to a stage production in London and with a new stage production coming out in 2022. The film was meant to be filmed um, in a more global scale, but due to the writer's strike of 1981, the film had to be reworked so it all takes place in the studio. So what we'll do is cut to the trailer, and we'll be right back to discuss shock treatment. Ah! That's very good. Hello, I'm Dr. Cosme McKinley. I'd like to tell you about a new film from the gang that gave you the Rocky Horror Show. Shock treatment. I'm not a local to suit you myself. I've been a cynic for too many years. Playing doctor and nurse, it can be good for your health. I've seen clinics with those gimmicks in tangents. But if you open your heart to a smooth operator, he'll take you for all that you've got. He'll hand you a curse that'll be with you later. It'll shake you the way he takes off. Like a shot. You need to be the... Get you jumping like a real life wire Need a bit of shop treatment So look out, mister, don't you blow your last resistor For a vista that'll mystify ya You're blinded by romance, you're blinded by science Your condition is critically grave But don't expect mercy from such an alliance Suspicion of tradition, so you wave. You need a bit of ooh, shot treatment. To jump in like a real life wire. Need a bit of ooh, shot treatment. So look out, mister. Don't you blow your last resistor for a sister that'll certify ya. Be pathetically crazy about shock treatment. Trust me. 
I'm a doctor. <laughs> Hi, Brad. I've just come to tell you how fabulous I am. <laughs> I'm not a locum with motive to suit you myself I've been a cynic for too many years Playing doctor and nurse, it can be good for your health I've seen clinics with those gimmicks in tangents But if you open your heart to a smooth operator Ooh. He'll take you for all that you've got He'll hand you a curse that'll be with you later It'll shake it the way he takes off Like a shot You need a bit of Get to jumping like a real life wire Need a bit of shot treatment So look out, mister Don't you blow your last resistor For a pistol that'll mystify ya You're blinded by romance You're blinded by science your condition is critically grave But don't expect mercy from such an alliance Suspicion of tradition, so you wave You need a bit of shot treatment Hit you jumping like a real life wire Need a bit of shot treatment So look out, mister, don't you blow your for a sister that'll certify ya Fire, fire You need a bit of Shot treatment Get you jumping like a real life wire You need a bit of Shot treatment So look out mister Don't you blow your last resistor For a sister that'll certify ya Welcome back to Literature License Podcast, and we're discussing shock treatment from 1981. So, David, what are your thoughts about shock treatment? As you say, like it's like a spillover of the uh, the Rocky Horror yeah. Show, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, actually, funny, Keith, you just uh, I, I remember seeing, I think, shock treatment back in the 80s uh, down at the Rialto, or I think it was now in King's Cross. Do you remember, you know? Oh, um, I love was, King's was, Cross. What was it, um, yeah. what was it called? Gala. That's it. Sorry, beg your pardon, Scarlet. Sorry. And Craig's just mentioned, like, it actually was it, it was a production at the King's Head in, yeah, in Islington, which is a lovely little theatre. But uh, again, like, it's um, it's playing up the sort of old, uh, you know, uh, sort of, I guess, like, uh, Rocky Horror classic. Like, <laughs> But um, I think it's, uh, I think I prefer Rocky Horror, funny enough. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same. I feel, I, I miss, I miss, um, Tim Curry from <laughs> yeah. Rocky Horror. I think because I watched Rocky Horror, well, it was I was a virgin to Rocky Horror until last week, yeah. um, but it really blew me away. I thought it was the songs were fantastic, and um, Richard O'Brien. I think he's a genius. His writing is just fantastic yeah. for he, for the songs that he's made, and this mm-hmm. actually was the book that he published at the same time as, as the movie, sort exactly, of the screenplay. Yeah. Sorry, um, and. Um, I think he co-wrote it with Jim Sharman. Yeah, um, that's right. But uh, it reminded me of like the 
a little bit of the Truman Show. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, where interesting, huh? yeah. like the whole town of Denton has been shrunk into a, into like a, a studio. A... I know they wanted. To, I, I I heard. I read somewhere they were going to do it on location, but there was some something happened, and they ended up in the studio. Yeah, that, that um, yeah. film strike going on. Right. Um, Which kind of halt, would... it halted a lot of things. It actually halted Star, a Star Wars film at the same time, and not much stuff. And that was in the UK that was going on. So... It's funny because this this happened around the same time at the BBC during Doctor Who's filming. A lot of the the times there was asbestos strikes and and different uh, and different strikes, and that... they, en- they ended up in one of them. There was one uh, one episode, um, the Greatest Show in the Galaxy in eighty eight that uh, that was basically filmed in the BBC car park in a tent. Um, <laughs> but it, it, they pull it off. It's to, it's one of my favourite ones. But yeah. you know, that's I think that was the climate of um, showbiz back back at the, in that time. There was these um, a lot of people striking and um, a lot of movements happening and things like that. So you know, you got to do it for your rights. You know, so. Yeah. Well, wasn't you know. it like Pleasantville like that, where they had like a microcosm? Yeah, yeah you know, the whole sort of, of the uh, town is shrunk into yeah, it, not like, shrunk, but, but kind of not reduced like the down to a, shrunk, but no. they were that that was their a microcosm the, the universe. The, 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 all black and white, and then as they yeah, start getting feelings, and they go yeah. into color, don't they? As as and they then they're hypnotized. The yeah, everyone who lives in I the mean, town. I mean, Jim an odd thing. I think. Um, I think. I like the film a lot, actually. I, I actually prefer a lot of the music in this over Rocky Horror. And I think it's only because the music, there's so much of it that there's a lot more than in Rocky Horror. And I had to there's say some of the, some of the vocals are better. And, you know, yeah, totally, uh, yeah, Jessica yeah. Harper's vocals. I mean, she's also in Paradise, um, Phantom of the Paradise about, um, Brian De Palma film and she sings in that as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I like a lot of the music, though I do think that what sets shock treatment kindly apart is that first of all i think trying to turn trying to make over you know when it when it opened it didn't open it only opened that uh, we're only gonna do this as a midnight movie so right then and there it's got that point against okay we're this needs to have a cult status where i think if they just released it regularly it probably would have been a, a bigger success mm-hmm. also yeah. i think the time period's off because if you're watching it now, basically, this is a piss take about reality television. And reality television wasn't a thing in 1981. So if you're watching this now with eyes like we have today, yeah, this is kind of like we're telling what our future in television is. And basically, uh, it's all yeah. about corporations and reality yeah, television. And it's a fake reality television that yes. we're watching. And that's what this movie's about, which is like, so if you think of it in those terms and watching it in that in that way and watching this film today, it's kind of bizarre because it's like Richard O'Brien is seeing into the future here. Mm. <laughs> because in 1981, television at that time was not about reality TVs. It was not about documentaries. It was simply basically about you escapism. Had, you had three you know, channels. Whether it was Doctor Who or Heart to Heart or Charlie's Angels or Starskin Hutch and all the other stuff that was on. I mean, it's very rare that you touch reality whatsoever. Because back then um, you had literally BBC One, BBC Two, and IT uh, Channel Three. Yeah, and that was mm-hmm. it. And now yeah. you've—I mean, well, just digital alone—you've got over six hundred channels. And wow. now, and then you've got um, the—you've um, uh, got Netflix and uh, Shudder and things like that. Yeah. And then you—you you know, someone will say, "Oh, let's w- let's watch something on Netflix." And then you—you've got that whole. Um, syndrome of just scrolling, and then by the oh, time, boy. by yeah. the time you've f- 
found something you want to watch. No one wants to watch anything because you're tired from scrolling, you know? Yeah, your eyes it's are tired. Well, that's, what, that's what you need to do. There's a way to manage Netflix that you do. You just do what I do. Basically. <laughs> Micromanage your uh, viewing time. Oh, no. Oh, basically, what I do now is that basically <laughs> once a week yeah. I go through what's coming and what's coming next week. And then I add that to my list. And then when I'm ready to watch Netflix, I just go through my list. Mm. So that way I'm not going through all this stuff. It's just like, because they'll tell you like any movies or TV series or anything going in, you know, and after about, after about three or four weeks, you pretty much got everything that, you know, you need. And if you just do it once a week, it's like, because it's a lot better going through 20 things than trying to go through over three, you know, a thousand things. But, but the funny thing with this film was, I didn't recognize Rick Merlin. I don't know why, because I'm oh, one of his yeah. biggest fans. Yeah. I just couldn't recognize him. I don't know why. And I couldn't, I, I, if I didn't know it was Ruby Wax, I wouldn't, I, I would have thought, oh, I recognize <laughs> that person, yeah. but I wouldn't have thought, oh, that's Ruby that, Wax. That's Ruby Wax, yeah. But exactly. I thought my favorite character is um, uh, the, the character Barry Humphreys. He was my yeah. favorite character. Yeah. Um, I, lo- I love a bit of Dame, Dame Edna. Well, <laughs> did you notice the um, black cheerleader who she was? Uh, yes, um, Simon yeah. Cowell's girlfriend, Sunita. Sunita, no, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. Keith was mentioned like a very, very, very young Willem Dafoe. <laughs> you know, well, uh, Street of Fire. So, oh, sorry, beg your pardon. <laughs> Jumping ahead here. Hey, but I'm just thinking about Max Headroom. You know, twenty minutes into the future. You know, yeah. and that was also like the precedent of like uh, as Keith was saying about reality TV. You know, but now it's like reality is almost like taking a, it's almost like what, surreality david know? yes what is a bit drummer and a bit guitarist um somebody from newcastle because <laughs> <laughs> no, david john played that and <laughs> gary martin and it's more like, like a it's more like a yeah like a session i guess right, session. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah okay just clearing that up now another interesting thing about this is that <laughs> if you if you watched um um rocky horror what you'll find quite interesting is Ruby Wax plays Betty Hapshat, and Jeremy Newsom plays um, Ralph Hapshat, and basically they're the couple getting married at the beginning of Rocky Horror Picture Show, that they're at the wedding, oh, yeah, and they've yeah. been demogenic. Oh, yeah. And here we got them getting divorced already, so that's quite interesting. Did you, did, yeah. you, did you see the nod to American Gothic in both of these movies as well? What yeah. was how does that tie in? Because I, I've, I'm yet to see American Gothic, but I know the painting, the, the picture of well, the, the yeah. man with a pitchfork. Well, that's um, yeah, yeah. That's just. A, I mean, it's just a painting. There's nothing. There's no story behind it. It's just a, page, no, a painting. That it was actually uh, his dentist, and I think his uh, mother-in-law or something like <laughs> something was uh, Grant. Yeah, um, yeah. Grant. I forget. Sorry, it was. It is a classic. It's iconic. You know. And he saw the mm. house first, like, and he thought this would make a beautiful backdrop for this painting, like, you know. But anyway, that's jumping off. I'm jumping off the beam of it. <laughs> Denton Vale. Yeah, I mean, it is, but it is what it. Uh, I mean, American Gothic. I mean, it's it's like, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of it's like the underbelly of America. It's like the dark underbelly. Oh, you mean like uh, the David Lynch side of things, you know? Yeah, a bit like that. I guess on Blue Velvet is probably the best thing where it starts out really bright and then as they get more into the story, you notice the film starts <laughs> getting darker and darker until, yes, until yes. the finale where it's all of a sudden it's bright again. Um, <laughs> and I guess, and, and you know, you get that with like Southern Gothic. If you look at things like Hush Hush Street Charlotte with Betty Davis or um, Whatever Happened to Baby James because oh, it's Southern yeah. Gothic. What a or English Gothic, Dracula or... 
you know it's mm-hmm. all that you know it's all quite everything on surface it's this but as you get deeper in it gets a bit yeah. more murkier sort of thing. Well, we've got thank thankful we've got to thank uh, edgar Allan poe for well the american side of things like you know for bringing that out like you know mm-hmm. classic yeah. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, so I guess what, you know, Rocky Horror does do that as well. It's like everything's quite bright and cheery, but then as Rocky Horror goes and you know, all of a sudden you start going to the underbelly, what's going on behind the scenes? And in Shock Dream, it does the same thing. Basically, it's like we got all the village people in Denton, Denton, and what you have at the end of it, they all end up in an insane asylum. So, <laughs> okay. Which is what happened to all, all, all the people in this town, basically, by that last we're song. Yeah, we're living, we're in, living that, in that now. We're living in a yeah. micro universe of that. I'm, I'm living in a in a dystopia. Yeah, we are. Yeah, it is <laughs> of, a dystopia, you know, of omicrons and <laughs> don't mention lockdowns. that word because yeah. it's terrible. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like, I mean, I think uh, you know, you, you talk to people like you know, on the, you talk to anyone like, and everyone's got wearing so many masks now because of what goes on, like, you know, and so many things suppressed. I was thinking the other day, sorry, just jumping off the beam again, but, you know, depression, like, it's more like compression because you compress things mm. from when you're a kid, you know, and it's got to come out. And as you get older, you get more elaborate. So yeah. the dreams become more elaborate, you know, yeah. and uh, well, the and nightmares think, become more elaborate. But I also think with depression, I think that if people, I think depression happens because people are not keeping busy. Yes, because the thing is, because one. you know, it's a bit like it's a bit like if your knee hurts, sort of thing. If you ignore your knee, you can get pretty much get on with the day and based on. Yeah. But if you just start concentrating on your knee, your knee gets it starts hurting more and more and more because basically you're just focusing all your attention. And I think oh, if you focus your attention on me, me, me all the time, and I think that's what's happened like in the last two years as well. Yeah. People are just sitting at home just thinking about themselves, and if you concentrate on yourself too much. You're just depressed because nothing after a while you just start going to that negative space and nothing seems right. Yes, you're right. You know, right. And it's like, oh, you know, and it's like you're picking out a sore, basically. It's like, oh, I'm this, and now next thing you know, it's like you've gone from this to something even darker. So it's kind yeah. of like a vicious circle. It is, it? but you know, it's like the old thing of like uh because uh you know, it just shows you haven't got any inner resources, mm. you know. So people are always looking for external um sort of input, but you know, uh, the other day I did this uh, thing, the, uh, what's it called again? Um, exquisite corpse. You know, where someone draws the head, someone draws the body, and someone draws the feet, oh, but yeah. you don't really know what the other person has drawn before you. Mm. So mm. that's quite interesting because it brings out some, it actually brings out some resourcefulness within you. If you don't have mm. any imagination, that's really sad, you know? Anyway. Well, I think, I think that's probably, I think, you know, we're living in a society where everything's just instantaneous anyway. Which mm. is cre- it's creating a lot of problems. Everyone wants a quick fix, no matter what it may yeah, be. Like me, like me, like, 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 you know. And there is that, but you know, the thing is, like, even if you look at you know the lockdowns that we've had, you know, the thing is, there are things that you could have done. You didn't have to be locked down. You could have gone yeah. out and done groceries for your elderly neighbors. I mean, that's what I was doing. I was going to work every day, and basically, I was going home, contacting my neighbor, going. You know, I don't really know them. I goes, I go, listen, I'm going to the shop. Is there anything I need? And just doing that and building, people could have built a society, but people were just it's so lucky, locked yeah. into themselves that they bought, all they sat and didn't watch Netflix for six months straight. And then, and then they come out like, Ugh. So it's like, yeah. it's like, well, I mean, there's a lot of positive things you could do. Um, I know that actors that I knew that basically, decided that they're going to do like Zoom, Zoom shows sort of thing. So they took old scripts and got a bunch of their actor friends together and you can watch them on YouTube like 
finding old movie scripts and each one taking a part and acting Brilliant. it out, you know. Brilliant, man. Yeah. You know, and, or musicians, basically, um, who couldn't perform. They would find other musicians and then they would, like, record music all together and each one would be in their house recording together. And exactly. There That's are plenty true. of things. That a lot so, of you, so you could, there are a lot of things you could have done. Um, you could have done, you know, read book, you know, read a book to, like, some old people over, the, over Zoom or over the telephone. Or I'm just saying there are a lot of things people could do, but I think People have a habit of just going right into themselves all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, I, and I think that you know, the cute this into reality television. It's just like yeah. you know, I think people watch reality TV because they have this sensation, like social media, that this this life is better than their own. Plus, there's other people's dramas that they have to have as well. But I don't think what a lot of people realize is that it these shows are a one camera show. Mm. And so whether you're watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hill or you're watching Survivor or no matter what show you're watching, if it's a reality TV show, that means if it's, if it's a one-camera show and they're cutting to someone's reaction, that means that basically they tape whatever they're taping. Okay, now fine. Now we're going to take your reactions and then they do that separately and they edit wow. it together. Yeah. Otherwise, the camera will be sweeping back and forth between people. <laughs> what Even the news, they say it's live news, but it's not. It's, it's pre-recorded not, news. Yeah, of course, you know. It's like, how can it be today's newspaper when today hasn't happened? Yeah. So it's always yesterday's rehash, right? Yeah. You know. And, anyway. and when you look at shock treatment, I mean, basically, it's about reality television. And yeah. basically, yeah. they get Brad and Janet up. And okay, let's find fault. Let's find drama within their marriage, which creates more people being into the people Denville being more interested into the fact that turned her into an icon because of this drama with her marriage. (laughs) And and it's all about and and also it's like and build build this one person up. What we do in society, whether you're looking at you know Black Lives Matter, no matter what it may be, so build these people up. Why we tear these other people down? So let's tip, let's bring up, you know, Janet, bring down Brad, you know, sort of thing. And let's, you know, build one up, tear the other one down, sort of thing. And, <laughs> you know, and that's what's quite weird about shock dream. You're kind of watching it. And on the surface, it's just like, okay, this is okay. But then when you start thinking about it, it's like, he's quite ahead of his time, Richard O'Brien. It's like, it makes you think that, well ahead, I mean, he's yeah. an intelligent person anyway. In this country, I mean, we have, we have a, a more of a history with Richard O'Brien, whether it's the crystal maze and, other things that he has appeared on, he does the talk shows. I, I'm not in America. I think he's more of a mystique icon because he, they don't. He doesn't appear in their television shows. He doesn't really appear no. over in America. They they love him and they know who he is because of Rocky Horror. Mm. But I think in this country, I think we know a little bit more. Like so same thing like Patricia Quinn. They know who Patricia Quinn is because of Rocky Horror, but we have more of a history with her because, as you were saying, she appears in Doctor Who. She's in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. She's the you know she's the teacher having sex with John Cleese during the sex education skit, and she you know she had her and she appears you know every now and then. So, so but yeah, but that's what I thought I found interesting about Shock Treatment is it's like when I saw it in the eighties, like oh I, I like the music, I bought the soundtrack right away. The movie is like oh, okay, I don't quite understand it. It's okay, it's it's fun. I like the actors. Now watching it now and this in this millennia now, it's like actually it's a lot deeper than I thought it was. Mm. You know, because Roger Roger Ebert in what he he basically um, thought that the horror fans would reject the movie, and then Richard O'Brien 
week um, said that it's not a sequel, it's not a prequel, it's an equal. And then he retracted on that and called it an abortion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a bit of a swim. But but, but Ebert says what you said, Keith, he actually says it's a prescient satire of reality television. Wow. Mm. That's well ahead of its time, man, isn't it? You know, when you think. Yeah. Yeah, I do think think that they marketed it wrong, first of all. I think that trying to make it a movie that they're only going to play on weekends at a midnight cinema, Mm. it's kind of like, you know, and I, you know, I don't think you can make a cult film. A cult film only happens by accident by people finding it. And people find yeah, cult films true. in very, very weird ways. They are, they sometimes they can be fantastic movies um, that didn't do well, or they can be like really bad movies that you can't yeah. stop watching because like car crash television. But I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's like, you know, if I was going to write a movie tomorrow or anything like that, I don't think I could write a movie and go, okay, I'm going to write a cult film. I don't think you can do it. I don't think. No, it's, you can't. It's mm-hmm. like, it, it's not defined by you. It's defined by others, you know? It's like with Neil and I. Yeah. Yeah. yeah precisely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that I think this is what you know when Shock Treatment came out in '81. It's like oh, we're, we're, we made a cult film, so we're going to give this cult, a Rocky Horror cult status. Rocky Horror was never meant to be what it became. No, it, it, it became, I mean it's great. There's not I'm not dishing it. It's a great film and everything like this, and it's a way of a time. But it never was made for midnight cinema. It, when they made the film, they made it because. You know, if you ever seen the original Rocky Horror on stage, there is yeah. no sets. Basically, when they're singing, um, you know, over the Frankenstein place, basically there's two actors sitting in a chair with their arms basically crossed with one arm for each of them being the windshield wiper back and forth. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And everything. And there's no sets or anything. And, right. and, that, and that's the way it was. And it was above a small, gritty little theater in London. Yeah, which yeah. is basically the attic, um, and then it kind of grew from there, and then um, then the, and then of course it opened in L.A. and of course that's where Meatloaf met Jim Steinman, so that's how that marriage happened because Jim Steinman was one of the musicians in the L.A. cast, and Meatloaf was of course Eddie. Eddie, and, then, and then the movie came out and the movie bombed because it wasn't a hit. Um, no one was interested in seeing it because it was this odd thingy. But then it started showing at midnight movies because they the midnight movie cinemas in New York were looking for something cheap to show, and it caught on. So people caught on, and they started dressing as characters, and then throwing the toast and everything that went on built over time. <laughs> yeah. Opening up umbrellas and stuff like this. Yeah. You know, a participation was the yeah, big thing, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, every when- time you know, every time a narrator showed up, they everyone scream asshole. <laughs> and you know, but that ha- but that was like an organic thing. And I think that, and I think that's probably what probably stopped shock treatment from actually gaining a bigger audience at that time because they, they were marketing it to be this. But you know, let's, let's be the next Rocky Horror. But I don't think you can market that. No, I mean, I think the new. I mean, I think the Rocky Horror Horror of the '90s ended up being something like Grease Two, which is another movie that was a huge flop. And now they have midnight showings of it. People dress up as the pink girls and perform bold tonight. And, and you know, you know that's, um, that sex song from with Tab Hunter sings in, um, in um, Grease 2. And, you know, they're doing all that and dressing up as Paulette and singing Cool Rider by Michelle Pfeiffer and so on and so forth. 
you know, and that you know that's you know that's cult films. Uh, they feel like Scala. I mean, there's plenty of cult films that saw the Scala, but you know, they they're things that were caught on by you know whether it's Andy Warhol's or the John Waters films or yeah. the multitude of stuff that I would see there, you know. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's probably the shock treatment. I probably that's the reason my shock treatment didn't do as well when it came out, sort of thing. They should just okay. open it at the multiplexes, let it go, see what happens, and then see what it became. Mm-hmm. It's a cult now. It's a cult show now. It's a cult movie now. You know, twenty years later, it's turning into a huge thing. With you know, as I said before, now a stage musical is happening of it again, sort of thing. So, yeah, it's strange. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's not defined by you; it's defined by others. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. But like Henry Miller, you know, I mean, what was it, 40 years before the, you know, the the released uh, Tropic Cancer, you know? Mm. You know, it was written back in the 30s and it wasn't until the, almost the 60s, yeah, or even later, you know, before it was actually, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I think, um, it's like a lot of things in life, you know, seems like censorship. What the hell is censorship, man? You know, why do we have yeah. censorship? Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you think of um, bigger films, like Flash Gordon was a flop. Yeah, yeah, but now it's like, love it, you know? Well, I don't think Barbarella did that well when it came out either. Oh, and there's another classic, you know? Yeah, you mm-hmm. know? Okay, right. Wow. You know, <laughs> I mean, I quite I quite like the little things that don't really do so well, and then I really yeah. discover them, and I love them. I- I'd rather and cheer on some of them. big budget, it's a huge budget. I'm never that impressed by it. I'm like, oh, this <laughs> Like the classic, you know, Dark Star, a lovely little sci-fi movie. You know, but really, Brian De Palma, isn't it? Yeah, no, like, yeah. Brian, I didn't know if it was Brian De Palma because John Carpenter did one as well, didn't he? Yeah, and uh, it was Dan O'Brien, you know, who ended up sort of doing the Alien wow. uh, franchise, like you know. But uh, again, like, was this a funny? Probably, well, actually, I think it was before Douglas Adams, you know, because he was the one who wanted to marry sci-fi with, um, you know, comedy and that. You know, mm. I mean, mm. I can't think of anybody else before that, like you know. Well, even Hitchhiker to the Galaxy should never really been a, I mean, as far as a book, it was never, it never no. really was a hit, but it, it became a cult hit over time. And Exactly. You know, it's only really when he put the composites together, yeah, of the book and, yeah. you know, because it was uh, Fit the First up to Fit the Sixth, I think, and it was just like mm. put on it on Radio 2, it's sort of, you know, 10 o'clock mm. at night, mm. you know, the usual thing, like, you know, uh, mm. But to I, mean, I guess with Terry, some of Terry Pratchett stuff as well, that's got that's cult stages now as well. And now it is, yeah, yeah. He, he wrote, um, he wrote, he was writing for Doctor Who at the time, really, during the uh, late, uh, uh, early 80s. Are you he, talking about uh, Douglas Adams? Douglas Adams, yeah, yeah that's he right. was doing, I mean, he wrote, yeah. uh, co wrote, um, The City of Death 1979, well, which okay. is just, he wrote some classic, He's I mean, the humor writer, that he yeah. brought to the production was just fantastic yeah. he, he was a bit of a legend and even tom baker said he's got he's a man with the kindest heart oh, that's how he described him as yeah, yeah isn't he nice buried story. um up the street at highgate cemetery highgate cemetery yeah I yes think, yeah, I, think, I think there's a little now so, yeah i think but yeah, yeah so this goes to show you that sometimes you can make something and though maybe in an i guess 20 years time and maybe the world will catch up to what you made <laughs> okay. <laughs> true, true, mm-hmm. true. Isn't it funny? Like, um, it's quite as a, as a side note. Um, there was a, a rough script written by O'Brien, which emerged as for a direct sequel to Rocky Horror. It was called Return of the Old Queen. In the story, Brad's brother Steve seeks revenge on the aliens in the first film after Brad becomes a Las Vegas go go dancer and falls to his death from a trapeze wearing only six inch heels and a rhinestone choker. 
Also revealed as Sonny, the illegitimate son of Janet and Frank, an heir to the throne of transsexual. The script never made it past <laughs> the last stage, but it has been shared by many fan sites. So who knows? Maybe that will come our way one day, sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it's quite funny because it's the, Je- the Brad and Janet, um, I guess if you wanted to make this a sequel to Rocky Horror, um, there was a disconnect with um, Brad and Janet, I found, in this version. I love Jessica Harper. I think her voice is far superior than Susan Sarandon. Sarandon, yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought Cliff DeYoung sang fantastically well. Um, I'm, you know, Cliff DeYoung, I've known him from a lot of 70s and 80s films anyway. Um, you know, if you look at the Rocky Horror, Susan Sarandon did not have much of a singing voice. But I loved her as Janet. And Brian, Barry Bostwick, I mean, he's fantastic. Anyway, he's the original Danny Zuko from Greece. That's where he oh, comes okay. from. He was from Broadway. It's so, like Craig said, we needed a, we needed a Tim Curry. <laughs> Every movie needs a Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't really, I think what happens is that you didn't really have the, um, I mean, Jessica, I mean, Jessica Harper, I mean, I mean, she's fantastic. I mean, you know, whether you're watching a Suspiria or, Phantom of, you know, because that's she was in the Dario Argento Superior. She's the main character in that. Mm-hmm. I think that there just seemed to be. I don't know if she was. She just looked really checked out through the whole movie. <laughs> she sounded fantastically, but when you looked at her face, it's like she's kind of like a bit checked out. And I guess sounds like the young <laughs> character, though he's playing both period, both sides. You know, the the twin brothers. So he sings fantastically well. I think he's supposed to be like the antagonist here. And unlike, but there's not that flair that Frankenfurter has as the antagonist in Rocky Horror. <laughs> because this is like, so it's kind of hard to have all this goofy stuff going on and then have Big Business being the antagonist to give it a bit of character. Because big, because corporations really don't have characterization, really. They're, they're characterless. Uh. So. And so, yeah, it does. So it does lack a flamboyant person taking. I think Richard O'Brien does a good job, and you know, and all the characters are really good. But there is that need for a, a big charismatic leader of all these people. Yeah. And if like you look at Farley, well, if you look at Farley, I mean, Farley is the antagonist, but he has very little interaction with the rest of the cast until the very end, when he pops up at the end, and him and. And he does that duet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah, dual yeah, duet. Yeah. But he has very, I mean, there's very little interaction so with him and anyone else. Wow. So. <laughs> Look what I did to my age. <laughs> what a genius. That's a class. <laughs> did Freud sing that one? Oh, no, it was maybe young. <laughs> Thank, thank you God make me feel thank so Harry. young. You make me feel like spring has sprung. I think Bitchin in the Kitchen is probably the most yeah. well-known Bitchin in the Kitchen or There was a Netflix series called Bitchin Kitchen, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, there was. I still love that. I haven't seen that for a while. And I think... Uh, yeah, I, also, I have to sit there and say that they should get every single, you know, whether it's Jordan or whoever... <laughs> Their theme song that they said, me, 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 <laughs> me, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> all of me, me, me. And Vicky should have come on and sang, uh, you know, My Little Black Dress. All the Cheshire Wives yeah. could go on. And the Real Housewives yeah. of Jersey. The Real Housewives of Rocky Horror. The Only Way is Essex, all together, <laughs> singing all singing about me. Bitching in the kitchen and me, me, It'd me. It'd be like a narcissistic cesspot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then they all can yeah. fall into a, and they can a all, liquid mirror, they can stir themselves up. Yeah. Stir them up. <laughs> That sounds like a plot. <laughs> Good one. I mean, interestingly enough, the lead single, the lead single from this album, did hit the top twenty in the UK, which is Shock Treatment. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I could hit the top twenty in nineteen eighty one when it was released. <laughs> and Richard O'Brien did a live performance of it during um, the Top of the Pops. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Some of the cast members. So I guess you can find that on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Any final thoughts about shock treatment? Right, Craig. Um, the the there is a a, a soundtrack. Um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show 15th anniversary box set um, and CD songs from the vault. It's a collection of Rocky Horror rarities. Yeah. Um, which was exclusive to that that was released. Um, and you've got that, Keith, haven't you? That one, one of these soundtracks. Yeah, I have the soundtrack. Yeah. I have the shock treatment soundtrack. I am sick of being humiliated by you. Bert's right, you're going. It looks like Brad and Jonathan have a Here's some more prizes for these here on Marriage Maze. Dear Blender. You won't blend into the background for this in your oh, home. Won't you help the first offender? Don't you put the burn on me. Look at this. Refrigerator. Why are we always sooner or later? Bitching in the kitchen or crying in the bedroom all night. Living on a knife, eh? Dear knife drawer. Face sharp. Now won't you help me to face life more old? Trash can. You can't handle the trash can. Can't. Don't you put the dirt on me? Oh, purple later. Why are we always sooner or later? Bitching in the kitchen or crying in the bedroom all night. Everything used to be okay, but I've been had. Brad, I'm glad to say, is on his way. Or crying in the bedroom all night. Shower curtain. Wash those clothes away. Oh, won't you help me to be certain? Oh, toothpaste. Don't you put the squeeze on me. Kitchen or crying in the bedroom all night. And now it's back to Marriage Maze, and for those of you who are gentlemen there watchers, here's our surprise guest. Yes, and here's Bert. Hey folks, it's Ricky from the Restaurant. Hey Bert. Hey Ricky. I've come for Mr. Majors. Brad will learn how to care in a surgical chair. <laughs> 
Nothing uh, serious, I hope. Oh, no, no. Just a routine checkup. Just a routine checkup, eh, viewers? Yeah, I would. I think if we were rating this out of um, out of ten, is it ten or five? (laughs) I'm going to give this a nine, only because I have seen it. I I can watch this movie and just put it on and just enjoy it. You know, I mean, as far as like, you know, is it the best movie ever made? No, (laughs) but it is a movie that I do return to every once in a while. Where it's like, I just put it on and I, you know, kind of this, and I love the movie. And I found it fun, and I could just put it on, but I ha- I just let it wash over me. But I don't pay a lot of attention to it. So for entertainment value for me, yeah, I can give it a nine because of the music. Yeah. And, and I yeah, it, and I, right I like all the yeah, yeah. I like all the characters in it. It's like it's like oh look, it's Sandita. Oh, it's Ruby Wax. Oh, it's Rick Mayo. Oh, it's Little yeah. Now. It's Patricia <laughs> Quinn. You know what I mean? And it's just like and because I love I love odd act character actors anyway, and I thrive on character actors i hate movie stars i love character actors so for me then that's the reason i'll give it a nine because it's like yeah okay yeah i think a nine and you're right like the probably the singing is better you know you know it's more professional <laughs> maybe they had more 16 track or maybe 62 trackers and you know we could overdub our voices mm-hmm. yeah i'll probably i'll give it a bit, um I'll give it a seven and a half, but I think that's because I prefer the original, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I know it's separate, but um, and I prefer the songs in the first movie, um, but still a good, good film and worth worth a watch. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Sure, it's got to be a, a nine. I said then say with Rocky Horror, I don't like the movie soundtrack, but I love the LA cast soundtrack and that's what I'm going to listen to. Okay. And it's like some people like the songs better than the actual movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, Time Warp was it actually charted, you know? Yeah. As far as I remember, you know. Well, Time Warp is now just classic wedding music now, isn't it? So it's like, you know Exactly, you know. And everybody knows the dance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tell you how far we come. I mean, Rocky Horror is available on Disney plus now. Whoa, okay. <laughs> well, as once is now as edgy is now part of Disney's franchise. So yeah, it's been given the Walt stamp of approval. <laughs> Boy, the world has moved on. Yeah, yeah. it's been given the most. Sexuals everywhere, even on Disney Plus. Yeah, there so. you go. <laughs>
This brings us to Fire, which is a 1984 American neo-noir rock musical film. was directed by Walter Hill, who also directed 48 Hours. Um, it's co-written by Will, um, Walter Hill, and Larry Gross. The film is described as an opening credits and poster as a rock and roll fable, where Soldier Boy saves the Queen of the Hawk from the leader of the pack. And it's a mix of various <laughs> movie genres with elements of retro 1950s woven into then-current 1980s themes. The film would gross $8 million in North America against a production budget of $14.5 million. This is a film that was basically, let's film this as a comic book. So this is a comic book movie without an official comic book um, to go along with it. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Street to Fire and be right back. I'll be coming for her. And I'll be coming for you too. Sure you will. And I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before. Where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun. Where the beautiful... Stay and see the show, it's really good. The brutal... I want Tom Cody. And the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. You're lying in your bed and on a Saturday night You're sweating buckets and it's not even hard But your brain has got the message and it's sending it out to of 48 Hours, Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. Hello, welcome back to the Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Streets of Fire from 1984. So, Craig, what do you think of Streets of Fire? Oh, I loved it. Um... I, I, even just even the first scenes, the the songs, the production. I mean, the production company they employed five hundred extras to play the citizens of the Richmond district. So <laughs> you don't get no CGI back then. It's all <laughs> what you see is what you get. It's real people, okay. bikes. If you you know if if you like rock music, um, biking. Um, <laughs> it's a good mixture to tie in. You like, know, yeah, yeah. Um, it was just really, it was a really fun film. Um, and it reminded me slightly of um, 
a film. Oh God, it was in the eighties. I think it's called Warriors. Oh, bloody with hell! This, yeah, where you just see like yeah. gang life, like a reflection. Which of is another Walter Hill film, right? Right. Okay, well, there you go. go. Yeah, yeah. and um, brilliant. And uh, Michael Paré did a great performance in this. It's got Rick Moranis now. Nah. <laughs> I've always known Rick Moranis from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Ghostbusters Two. Yeah, but. I, I take my hat off. It's the first serious role I've seen him ever do uh, so far. And there's like a little running theme here. Um, he seems to be popping up in a lot of our movies, Keith. So, <laughs> well, but, he was um, in the I feel like of horrors. Yes, we're yeah. having a psychological analysis of Rick yeah. Moranis's <laughs> life. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, but and do you know what? He's such a funny guy. And I, I, I feel like when you see him, because he's so short and, you know, he's got the glasses and that. Yeah. They seem to like treat him like crap in movies. Like he seems to be getting thrown around the stage and or punched and or people call him a dweeb and a, and a short <laughs> ass and things like that. But do you know what? He's a, I think he's actually a little legend. Yeah, he, um, he, he, he always gets like the role of the geek. Yeah, or, or the scientist. So yeah. it's funny how some people get. It's like, uh, oh, sorry, I'm. And he was big. Yeah. Billy was it Billy the Fish or Mister Fish? Uh, yeah, Billy, Billy that, that's Fish. it. Yeah, I yeah. just made me laugh out loud when I saw him, and he was there. And he was a bit <laughs> fish. You know, expect some big, you know, um, mafia boss to turn up, and it's, yeah. and it's Rick Moranis. Um, <laughs> William Defoe was amazing. I mean, he pulls off wearing leather dungarees very well. Yeah, for, yeah, really. for, for, for the yeah. Well, he's a good body on him. I tell you that. Uh, <laughs> you know and they didn't actually let you down it was it was streets of fire you know when he starts you know shooting motorbikes with the with his sawn off shotgun you know there and then for some but what i can understand okay someone yeah. please help me i want to be in the bombers no one explained to me why they, why they <laughs> no one explained to me why they kidnapped the girl in the first place and when uh, the, i was like <clears throat> but maybe that's just what gangs did back then and that that was what what they wanted to do just I to prove that they are they were like a macho thing yeah, so like, yeah oh, like i a, can do whatever uh, i want machismo and, and who yeah. whose idea was it to have a um a, a bar slash um night strip club um next to like a gas gas works <laughs> that got <laughs> that got blown <laughs> up i mean that's how that's health and safety gone mad yeah you know? but it was long before ppi yeah or you, you know. call it elf and safety nowadays El- Christmas, Christmas. <laughs> that's good yeah. it? elf and safety there, yeah. there's a couple of things that um in that bar <laughs> you know the girl who's dancing would basically with the tights on oh, do you know who that is yeah she's uh, the when you watch flash dance and whenever you see jennifer beals dancing that's her that's her body. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's quite interesting. I mean, there's a lot of good people who like start, their start was kind of in this movie and now they, you know, they became something afterwards. Yeah. You know, you have Bill Paxton. You know, oh yeah. From, yeah. You know, I mean, Aliens. You know, and, uh, yeah. Robert Apollo Townsend. 13. You know, another he, Robert Townsend became like this fantastic director. He did like Hollywood Shuffle and the Five Heartbeats and so on and so forth. And Ed Bagley Jr., another one, he went into like LA, Chicago Hope, into becoming a TV star. And yeah, you know, Lynn Lee Vig, who went into do Pulp Fiction, and you know, Amy Madigan, who ended up um, becoming like Field of Dreams, and she married Ed Harris. and I actually saw them about two years ago in the West End. Her and her husband Ed Harris do a play together. So, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's, 
And then of course Rick Moranis. I mean, this is this is before Little Shop. This is before Honey I Shrunk the Kids. This is before yeah. Diane Lane, yeah. whose first appearance was in Rumble Fish and Outsiders. And she's wow. you know, yeah. and she's here she's doing you know, here she is here, and she's only 18 in real yeah. life. Okay, right. And I thought she was I mean, like in the tw- late twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Rumblefish, another classic, like, you know, the, strange movie. Like, I didn't realize, I forgot it was her. The writer, really, yeah. Walter Hill, he said he was very humbled by the shoot. And he said that basically people would rehearse for hours and days. It, but, uh, but for this film, they would get to the sh- sh- to the shoot and they would shoot it, uh, film it there. And you, you got that real sense, especially when um, the, the girl was performing the songs. You, I said, I said, um, I said to my mom, I said that they, it sounds like they're having a really good time making this movie. Yeah. Um, and the songs actually reminded, I don't know why, but I kept thinking of that song, I Need a Hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the, well it was the opening it. song, Nowhere Fast, and the last song that she sings on tonight's What It Means Being, are written by Jim Simon, who wrote Holding Up for Hero. This right. is Jim Ronnie Tyler, totally clips of the heart, and, and yeah, the vocals oh, yeah. are done. Diane Lane can sing, but she did, she doesn't do her yes. singing in this. She's miming. Um, that makes rip- sense then. But the yeah. singer of that, if you ever heard um, Bonnie Tyler's um, "Faster Than the Speed of Light" and it has that high yeah. female singing voice at the end, this I've is the main that singer. Album. Yeah, yeah, okay. Glory Sargent's her name, but, and Holly um, Sherwood. But right, cool. and then, of course, when the black guy, when yeah. the black guys are singing. Um, 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 I can dream about you. That became that was that became a number one hit in 1984. So, I can dream about you. About you. Oh yeah, yeah. which was actually That's Dan Hartman. Uh huh. But just about then, right, um, right, sorcerer. Um, basically, um, that saying that um, when they're walking the streets and hear the the song Sorcerer, that's actually written by Stevie Nicks. But the vocals are done by an unknown artist that name called Maria McKee, who would end up having a huge hit with Lone Justice, as the lead singer for Lone Justice, and she would also have, be, have a hit with uh, Maria McKee Shelter back in the 80s. And I Can um, Never Be You, which is also heard in the background that shows Ellen Ames singing in a music video, would actually be sung by uh, another unknown artist at the time called Marilyn Martin. Who would end up having a huge number one hit with Phil Collins from the movie White Nights called Separate Lives. She's the lead vocalist of that, uh, and she's the lead vocalist for Living on a Prayer for Bon Jovi and all these other um, <laughs> huge rock and roll songs. She's the lead, vo- lead um, backing vocalist for those songs. So, so um, the band in the club for Streets of Fire is a group called, which was an 80s cult group called The Blasters. Right, um, which had a few a few hits and stuff like that. So, so it's quite funny. So when you're watching this movie and then hearing all this stuff in the eye, all these people, even the artists in the background, became huge hits. After you know, they had like became bigger than life. You know, if there's a vocal might, nowhere fast was, was yeah, one of my favorite songs. Yeah, why in the eighties? You know, return back to the fifties. It seems like you know the fifties became like uh, omnipresent, mm. but now it's like the fifties is. I don't know. There's not really. It's funny, Christine was on the other night, uh, jumping off the, the thing again. Like, but again, uh, that was all uh, like 1950s, you know. Obviously, the car, you know, was possessed by a his, demon. His car was hilarious. I mean, yeah. It, I think that in every decade that, that you live, I hope they insured it. 
<laughs> in every <laughs> in every decade that you live, they do reflect back to the thirty years yeah. previous. So, so if you notice, like uh, if you look at basically the eighties, we reflected back to the the fifties, and that's you know yeah. we have hits like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley at the same time, and all this stuff yes. that's reflecting that's back in the fifties. Um, in the nineties, they reflected back to the seventies. That seventies yeah. show. Um, in the seventies, they reflected back to the forties. You have the Waltons. Sort of thing. So there's always like a bit of a reflection, and at the moment, I think there was you're starting to hear a lot of 80s influences start popping up in a lot of things, whether it's Stranger Things, which is set in the 80s, hey, it, which is set in the 80s, so on and so forth. So it seems like every whatever decade you're in, you're reflecting from 30 years ago and you're kind of trying to bring that forward. Into yeah, the, forward, yeah, I got you, yeah. yeah. Who played the tomboy? The tomboy that's played, that's Amy Madigan, and you you would know her from Field of Dreams. She's Kevin Costner's in that. Like, I want to marry her <laughs> yeah, in a parallel dimension. She, <laughs> yeah. She's my wife. Well, he is she, eleven. She, she just kicks ass, man. I love her. Yeah. I mean, well, when when she's at the bar and the guy, I don't, I, he says mm-hmm. something. He's like, I don't know. She she literally just knocked him out. <laughs> and I thought, good on you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the kind of yeah, yeah, that's a good lady. That's a classic woman. Yeah, she's yeah. well. He is eleven. And then, and then she you know. kept. And then I like how it tied up at the end when <laughs> he. Uh, Michael Parry came in the car and he said, um, do you want to get in? And she says, oh, I will, but you're not my type again. And uh, it, it tied in really well. It's really good. Really, really clever. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I also quite like about this is it's all filmed at night. Um, basically what they did is they, they um, filmed it and they had, the, they had this something like five, so that four to five miles with the, Tarpon that they had to put over everything to make it so that everything looked like it was nighttime. Oh. And, and I, know, like, I noticed in the tunnel scenes, um, they'd sprayed water so it reflected off because obviously you're not going to, you don't get much water in a tunnel, you know. So I noticed that, but it was really effective <laughs> though, really, really well done. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That's yeah, the whole look of it, even, even the way they edited as well, you know, like when you get the first thing, it's like, yeah, and then and then you get split screens <laughs> by comic strips almost. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, I think that I mean the reason why we're covered, you know, it's Christmas time, and we always kind of break from what we're normally covered, what we're covering during the season. And the reason why we're covering these two is because it's all, these films are kind of ahead of their time, and I think that's the reason why they flopped. But then, uh, and. They're like a product of their time, but they are ahead of the time. And I mean, the comic book movie that we have now, basically, I mean, they released this today. It it probably would look slightly different anyway, but it wouldn't have the magic. But at the same time, the marketing probably would have fit better today than it did back in in 1984. 1984, I mean, if you look at the stuff that's running, it was going in 1984. I mean, we are going more into um, Aliens. um, Yeah. What was 84? And a lot of films from 1984 yeah. were a bit more flashy. He had a lot of stuff, didn't he? Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, the more like yeah. sort of fam- family-friendly sort of stuff, you know. And yeah, and a lot of um, yeah, we had a lot of um, you know, nothing bad, but it was just a different different marketing. Honey, um, that was like late 90s, but I mean, 84 was kind of like. Footloose and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and yeah, yeah, and you know, and and the musical was dead in 1984. A musical um, in 1981, the musical was dead. There was, you know, what 
you didn't really see people open up singing in movies in the, at this right. time. That, that, that was dead. What you had was musical movies, but they were musical movies because of the soundtrack, which was other flash dance. Quite dance fame. Yeah. I mean, you Footloose. had like, uh, okay, you had uh, yeah. La La Land. We had now. Top Gun. Top Gun is considered a musical because of its soundtrack, because the, there's a pumping rock soundtrack going all the way yeah. through all the songs. And it was, soundtracks were selling really, really big. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, and they're and they were like pushing the movie forward because of the music video. But in all actuality, there's no one singing in any of them. Yeah. I mean, of course, they made, not made they're now making musicals of these 80s you know, films at the moment, whether it's Flashdance, the musical, or Footloose, the musical, and nothing's more disconcerting when you're sitting there watching it, and all of a sudden, when the characters breaks in, let's hear it for the boy, and you're like, yeah, that's a bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amadeus was the big movie of the year, I think in 84, you know, that one. Oh, yes. Yeah. And which, you know, I love Mozart, he's just, I think everyone likes Mozart. It's like, he's, uh, he could write a humble, humble tune, you know. <laughs> he was the rock star of the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, 1984 was Gremlins, 16 Candles, The Last Starfighter, Purple Rain, Splash, wow. Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. Roddy Kid. Yeah. Um, Red Dawn, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Right. Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, oh, we're looking right. at like they're musical movies with big soundtracks, but they're not musicals or no, things. Exactly. Romance in the Stone. Police Academy, the first one. Okay. So and I see you know, as you said before, Amadeus as well, Greystoke, yeah, Legend was, of Tarzan. It was up uh, again. Star Trek, the Search for Spock. I mean, these are all the nineteen eighty four yeah. pop these were the popular yeah, films. Yeah. It was released and up I think, again. The search for Spock, Star Trek Three, at yeah. the time, and I think the Streets of Fire. If, if you compare that to what else was out there, I think it was it's a bit too different. Children yeah. of the Corn, I think, was out of that time as well. I remember seeing Children of the Corn. Good thing. <laughs> so, and I think, and I think it's you know when you're trying to market something that's totally different than everything else out, out, out there. I think it, you know, I think you kind of have a hard push here. And I think, I mean, if you look at the trailer for Streets of Fire, it's a, it's a, it's marketed different than everything else that was out there at the time. For me, I saw it when I think I saw Purple Rain and they had the trailer for this. And it's like, I have to go see this. So me and three of my friends went to see it and we loved it. We came out of it on like all time high. And everyone else was like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Mm. Sort of thing. Well, so, had the same impact you know, as like a hard day's night, you know, say like in the yeah. because, you know. You know what I mean? Like, because you felt you were at the concert, in a sense. You know, mm-hmm. the reason why they made the movie is like to make it, the people who couldn't afford to get a Beatles ticket or just couldn't get to see them. You know, mm-hmm. you actually felt you're at the gig. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And I also think Streets of Fire. I mean, even if you look at the way they're talking, I mean, they're talking like a comic book. You know, the, yeah. the lines that they're using are comic book um, dialogue as well. Yeah. The way that it's edited together. You know, if you look, you know, if you compare this to, you know, whether it's Indiana Jones or Gremlins or Sixteen Crows or Ghostbusters, and the way they're edited, they're all, they're edited like a normal film. This one's got got really sharp edits, and it basically cuts from here to here, and then, it, mm. you know, and then you have the sound effects in between your scenes as well. It's like ding or some kind of loud sound effect, whether it's us, you know, <laughs> a, whether it's a subway train or a 
car, you know, squealing its brakes or the way it's cut together. So I think, you know, for as far as Streets of Fire, I think that's probably one of the reasons probably why it didn't do as well as I thought it was going to do, which is a shame because it was the first part of a tree that needed to be completed. Because they were planning on doing Ted Coat. Um, the second film was going to be set in the winter time in the snow, and the third film was going to be set in the desert. Weird. So, and the, the adventures of Tom Cody, the main character. So, so it would have been quite interesting. I don't know if Ellen, I don't know if Eileen Ames would have been in it if they would all been a, like a musical type movie like this one was. You know, I don't. You know, I mean, if I guess. They could have some rock and roll singer singing in the snow somewhere, but probably not. <laughs> so, so it'd be it'd been quite interesting to see where it would have gone if this was a hit. Yeah. I mean, it could have got could have been one of the worst trilogies ever made, but it could have been one of the greatest trilogies ever made. You never yeah, know, do you? Yeah. <laughs> True. Ryan Kudis has kind of sort of come on the scene. You know, you did Paris, Texas, of course. Mm. Beautiful, you know. I mean, he's he's the king of slide, as far as I'm concerned. You know. But well, Paris, Texas was 1984 as well. Exactly. Oh, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Came out in 1984. Yeah. So he was really mm. quite a busy, quite a busy man then at that point. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Now, I had to say the script for this is pretty, pretty easy to follow. So then, so obviously it wasn't, you know, it's not highbrow script where it's like you have to really concentrate. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to sit there and say that I, I would sit there and say the fights the fight scene at the end of this movie is probably the most, one of the most violent film fight scenes I've seen with those hammers. Yeah. Mm. I mean it's funny we've talked about the Warriors before. It did say like, you know, it was like expanding on that sort of thing. Right. Like, you know, I wasn't really a big fan of the Warriors, like you know, it was okay, but you know. Mm. Uh, uh. Warriors is another one of those films that ended up becoming a huge it's keeps cult film now, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny, you can watch something um, maybe 10, 15, 20 years later, and then you think, oh, that's interesting. It appeals to you now. Maybe sometimes, you know, it's like the same with like, like songs you write sometimes, you know, written songs back in the 80s. Now, only starting to understand what the hell I was talking about, <laughs> you know, or singing about, you know, that's weird. It's almost like uh, precognition or maybe sort of, uh, I don't know. It also works in reverse as well because. Yeah, I loved ET when it came out. I tried watching ET, and I think it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. I loved it at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, yeah, now I just look at it and like, oh god, I hate the kids in it. I think they're nauseating. <laughs> the world's first cross-dressing <laughs> alien. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and and then there are other stuff that I really hated when I was growing up. You know, as you were saying with music. Yeah, I was just going to say that any person. Person I've been in a relationship with, there's been a lot of the music I didn't like, but once I break up with them, I now find a couple of the songs that I really hated they used to play now on my playlist. Ah, so, but you know, it becomes like yeah, it becomes like the the CD or your your soundtrack to your life. You have to, you know? you have to yeah. listen to David's music. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you got a razor? No, no, no. It's it's good. You know, it's not dark. It's kind of it's kind of sort of like a quiz or. Uh, dark matter seven point three. <laughs> That's why you, what you have to do is you have to put a playlist together. What I do, I do a playlist, and I always make a list of people. I'm so I'm yeah. so stuck in my eighties. I don't have cassette tapes anymore, so now I do it via Spotify. Hey, you know, yeah. you remember we used to make a mixtape for people. You know, I used to love that. Yeah, you know, because that was a way of showing yeah. what you were thinking about at the time. But and I love people doing that for me because it helps you open your mind to other music and stuff. 
And he's, of course, and he's yeah. spending a lot of time like putting what song with and what no song. That's right. I know somebody will say like, oh, hi, honey. Yeah, did you listen to track seven? Mm. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, track seven. Yeah. That's like the <laughs> uh, Faithless were inspired by one of the songs on the album, The Red, the red, the the red go- Box. The Gold Rays of the Sun. Oh gosh, who's that? Uh, Faithless Insomnia. Oh right, oh, yeah. I was, li- I was, li- I was yeah, listening yeah. to it. Um... It was a, it was an album that they were inspired by, so yeah. they put it together. Right, and um, that was one of the songs on there. And um, no cocaine, no cocaine. Yeah, yeah. Oh cool, no. go insane! That one. Oh yeah. right, that reminds me of that other. I'm forgetting the name of the band. Excuse me, I can't remember the name of the band. Uh, Novocaine for the soul before I spot around. Oh, yeah. Who's that, Keith? But there's no such thing as concept albums anymore, is there? Yeah, no, yeah. No, they don't make concept albums anymore. You know, I no, think we, I think before, before we start recording about like Alice Cooper from the inside yeah. or Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell or Bad Out of Hell um, or, or Fleetwood's Fleetwood Max Rumors album. Rumors, which was all, about all the concept albums. Exactly, yeah. Now it's yeah. just songs. Yeah, just like, you know. Uh, just songs, yeah, you're right. You know, they have no. No one listens to a whole album anymore. Like, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like schools out. Alice Cooper, you know, I couldn't yeah, stop listening. Yeah. It's just I'd still love that. It's great because I mean, it's got West Side Story uh, elements. You know, it's also like you, you know, schools out for summer. Schools out. It's just great. It, it appealed to you when you were 17 years old. You know, long before well, what I did. Time, you know, these guys, these guys were still in the spirit my- world then. Right. Well, what I did was I put a playlist together of all my favorite albums when I was growing up, and I put, and then I and then I listened to it from beginning to end, and like just listened to like these albums and how they all get together. <laughs> whether it was Ario Speedwagon or whether it was Cheap Trick or well, you know yeah. so on and so forth. And then I realized that when I got to like probably like the late '90s, and that's when it ended. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, okay. Now I'm no longer listening to albums. Now I'm just listening to songs from different things i mean albums are being produced but they don't they don't have the flow it's just the singles and the songs themselves because that's how people are picking songs now you just pick what songs you want and that's what you listen to mm-hmm. yeah. so you know it's like i imagine adele's new album i think it, i mean no disrespect for adele but you know she's talented and she sings well yeah but she's like charday you buy one charday album you pretty much got her whole back catalog and because you exactly. know, yeah yeah and then, you know, you know I mean, the one Adele album, you pretty much are going to listen to everything she's ever come out with. You know? <laughs> it's point. Yeah. Well, because you can pick and choose now what songs you want to hear, you can do quite well with nowadays if you are an artist. Where before, but then again, there is this, there is this problem now that basically if you don't hit number one as you're coming out of the chart, you're dropped. <laughs> Faster than anything, you know. Wow. You're not allowed to misstep anymore. Like no, no, that's true. <laughs> it's true. You know? Yeah, and I think back in back then, you know, I mean, a, a million seller was a million seller. You know, yeah. right? Yeah, and and, and groups, you know, if, you know, if they did miss that, which a lot of groups did, they would have that one album that wasn't that great. But then they would, <laughs> you know, but you know, they'd be giving. Okay, well, we'll try. It. Let's try you with another producer. Let's try something else here, and they would do that now. You get you got to hit number one, or you're dropped. I mean, that's the reason why those top idol people never last. No, of course not. You know, they, I mean, it, it might can, be. Well, they can, they, they can never do the follow up. But and the thing you is, never, exactly, you're never going to be taken serious by real musicians because you know it's basically like um, you're not a real musician. You know, you're well, doing yeah, it for the. Well, you have to remember who Mama Cass said. 
Mama yeah. Cass said that um, when she was in the Mamas of Papa, she was very blessed because of John Phillips. Yes. Because she goes, you can be the greatest singer that ever lived, but if you don't have the material to sing, you might as well just be singing commercial jingles. Exactly. Because you're right. just singing with your mouth opening and just with it open because yeah. you need the material. That's right. And, That's right. You know, and I think, you know, and the thing is, if someone else is picking songs for you or whatever like that, you know, you don't need to write your own material. You just got to know what what the right material you need to pick. Yeah. And, and, if, and if, if you're not a songwriter, there's not a problem with not being a songwriter. There's plenty of people who can write great songs. You just got to make sure that you're picking the right songs. Yeah. You know. That, now, if you're that, a singer-songwriter, it's a bit different because you can actually, you know, there are ways that you can market your songs to yourself. I mean, there are plenty of different platforms, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or so on and so forth. And that whole, and then, then you know, if you market yourself a certain way, that your audience will find you. But if you're just a singer, you're going to have to be very, very choosy and spend a lot of money finding someone to write music for you. Yes, exactly. You know, because I mean, that's right. You're uh, basically uh, playing someone else's emotion. You know. Or you're trying to uh, expound on somebody else's emotion. The thing is, if you write for, you write your own songs, like uh, I remember Lennon was talking about. Paul McCartney said, uh, "Oh, Dylan can't sing," you know. And John Lennon says, "Well, it's not how he's singing; it's what he's saying in the song," you know. And that's the most important part, you know. I mean, and the only great thing about Bob Dylan is, yeah, he can't sing worse shit. And I, I had difficulty listening to him. <laughs> but the great thing about him, because his music's so brilliant, it's covered by other people, so you can hear the Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Even he says, he says, the Jimi Hendrix version of Along the Watchtower, that's that's the way it should have been. I should have written that for Jimmy. And he did. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Blowing in the Wind sounds so much better with Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many roads must a man walk down? Yeah, and when he sings it, it just sounds like it just sounds like a homeless person. And then you get, and then you get like, and then you get like Peter Paul and Mary singing. It's like, oh my god, this song, this is a beautiful song. <laughs> well, it's like Peter Noon singing there, all you pretty things. You say standing there singing about you know Alistair Crowley and uh, sort of Rambo and. He's like, no, the hell was he talking about? You know, whereas like, you know, when Bowie sang it, because he wrote the song, it, it really, you know, he meant them things, you know. It's like some people sing things they don't even know what the hell they're singing about. Mind, I suppose we all do that, you know. But then you, and then you get, you know, I guess some Carol Bayer Sager is one of those singers. She doesn't have much of a voice, but Carol Bayer Sager in the 70s had like yeah. these huge ballads, whether it's Don't Cry Out Loud, I'd Rather Leave While I'm In Love, yeah. or, yes. you know, so on. But then um, she they she was given an opportunity to record three albums, which she did. And when you listen to them, she doesn't have a voice, but the pathos and the, yeah, the emotion, well, yeah. her voice, it's just like pathos. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. it's like Amy Mann. Amy Mann's another one. I, Amy Mann's one of those people. I don't know if anyone can ever ever record her music because she's kind of the opposite. But when Amy Mann sings Amy Mann music, she's brilliant. You know, yeah, exactly. You know. It's like, uh, you know, like Johnny Mitchell. That's a nice, yes, yes. I mean, I, I really like Cheryl Crow, and, you know, I didn't realize she was, oh. you know, working with a uh, backing singer for so many bands, you know, but uh, she did mm-hmm. um, uh, a couple of albums that were just powerful, man, you know, great, really good uh, poetry, yeah, I, got, you know? I love Cheryl Crow. She's really good. Yeah, I think she's really clear. I mean, uh, I like Nina Cherry. 
She's brilliant, man. Yeah, she's yeah. and her dad was Don Cherry, you know, the trumpet player. Oh, yeah. no, I didn't know that. Yeah, but man, that's a great song. And her brother Eagle Eye. What a family, you know. <laughs> no family got in the last time you had such yeah. a talented family was probably Aldous Huxley and Julian Huxley. But they weren't singers, they were philosophers and only no Huxley pig on children's TV. No, no, no. Well uh, <laughs> and the song is How You Gonna Be Today? That's yeah. Huxley pig. No, that's the wheels on the bus go round and round. Recorded by John. Well, I mean, Paul he had Haley Mills and her son. Because her son came out with Brimful of Ashes. Yeah, yeah. Brimful of Ashes on the 45 needs a bosom for a pillow. That's it. Yes. Everyone for a pillow. Everyone <laughs> Classic. Yeah. But uh, actually, that's quite true, actually. That, you know, mm. maybe IKEA should start doing bosom chairs. I don't know. You know I think it depends on the size of the bosom, though. <laughs> because if it's too big, you're going to have a bad. Ba- you're going to have a bad neck next morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's just right, you just sleep like yeah. a little kitten. It, it is it's the Goldilocks syndrome. It's just got to be just right. <laughs> you know, not yeah. too hot, not too cold, just right. You know, like the universe. <laughs> now. um... Another thing I found quite interesting about um, Streets of Fire is that though, even though it's set in the 50s, there is kind of a super uh, science fiction beauty yeah. as well, the way like the costumes are. Like, Eileen Al- Ames' um, performing outfit is phenomenal. I don't know anyone who can wear that outfit and get away with it. But then you had like, um, <laughs> you know, and then you had some, you know, even. And then you had like the fetish gear of the leader, the leader pack. I mean, it, it's not like you're, it looked more like Depeche Mode's fetish years. Another <laughs> face. Like, like oh, yeah. But, but it was quite interesting because they weren't, you know, they weren't like, they had like those 1950s crisps and stuff like this, but they weren't wearing the jeans and t shirts. They were wearing like this really like bonded leather gear, which is yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, like and then you had, um, and then Rick Moranis was dressed from the 40s, which is quite odd. And then he had <laughs> Baby Doll, who they picked up with E.G. Daly's character, and she was dressed up as an 80s. Yeah. So it was quite interesting to see all these different styles being pushed into this 50s aesthetic sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, it's just true. Like this crossover yeah. from different uh, time periods, different decades, you know. Mm. Really interesting, you know? Yeah. And I mean, if nightlife looked bad, I'd probably sleep all day and be out all night, sort of thing. So I'll give it that. I mean, no, there there is a sequel of Street to Fire that's on available on YouTube called um, The Road to Fire. Um, it has Michael Perry in it, and it is a musical, which is quite interesting. Um, so if, you know, if you did like this film and you want to check that out, it's it's quite interesting. The music in it's quite good. Um, it has. I, I'm trying to remember who what name of the girl was that in the um, sequel. Um, but you'll rec. I mean, wrote to hell is what it's called. Um, and it has um Michael Perry coming back again as Tom Cody, 
uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg coming back as his sister. And the, and the girl singer in it is, um, is, I think she's quite popular today. I recognize her. I can't remember her name though, but um, it's escaped me. But it's something that we're still see, so. Baby, please. 
So, so what are your final thoughts of Streets of Fire? Um, Streets of Fire had a 69% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> with a consensus, Streets of Fire may sometimes buckle under the strain of its ambitious fusion of disparate genres, but Ooh. Walter Hill's bravura style gives this motorcycle musical feel to burn. I I would I I really enjoyed it. Um, I watched it three times. Wow! So, um, it, <laughs> you it resonated with me. Um, I just love the story and the, the the music as well, and the style and the look of the film. Um, I will give this. Um, yeah, I'll, I'm going to give it ten motorcycles out of ten. <laughs> Yeah, right. I think, yeah, yeah. I think, no, 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 nine, maybe. Nine seems to be some popular number at the moment. <laughs> but you're right, mm. like, it's a comic book come alive. Absolutely, you know. Mm. But, I mean, uh, like Keith was saying before, like, the, the, the sort of decades seem to meld together like a, you know, sort of Vulcan mind meld. Mm. You know, we're going to put a bit of, uh, <laughs> a, bit of a little bit of Rocky Horror and a little bit of sort of, like, uh uh, S&M and a little bit of sort of like Billy Fury and a little yeah. bit of uh, maybe Butt Rogers in the f- 21st century. Yeah, I like it. It was good, Keith. Very good. I am going to give this a 10 because um, I saw this movie theaters. I loved it so much. I had the soundtrack and album. Then I bought the yeah, soundtrack on CD and then I bought the movie when it was available <laughs> by the video. Then I bought the DVD and I now have the Blu-ray of it. So, so now you have the whole concept. You just you're just missing the um the, the leather dungarees. Kit. Yeah, <laughs> leather dungarees. Oh, oh, you know, I, I I charge for that little number. You know, <laughs> yeah. We won't be walking around East Finchley in leather dungarees. That's what you're <laughs> soon to come from a an app, a dating app soon though so, but no, no, no. <laughs> but um yeah no. I, I actually probably i couldn't wear leather there's too much too much <laughs> yeah, i don't like the sweat in my clothes. that's too much sweating <laughs> yes, going on yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i i mean i mean street of fire is one of those movies that what i like about it is that a lot of people don't know about it. It does have a, it does have, it has built up a cult following over the years, but not a lot of people know about it. But you can, when people come over, you can show it to them. And everyone I've ever showed it to actually does like it. They like the music and stuff like this. And, you know, when I, we were talking about making playlists and making, I would always put a song from this movie on there. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I, I think it's just a fun film sort of thing. It's just one that you just sit back and you just enjoy. And you know, I and I can't and, and the sadness for me is that there's no other film that's coming out in the last five years that even compares to this that I've actually that entertains me as much as it does. So
Well, I guess that brings us in the Literature License Podcast, and we want to miss, wish all our listeners a Merry Christmas and have a happy and safe New Year. Next week is our Dark Shadows, which will be going out on Boxing Day. And then, of course, we'll, we'll be doing our um, Book to Screen, which will be Odd Thomas, written by Dean Coots, with the film Elite Anton um, Yeltsin, starring. And that will be done on the... And of course, you can join us for the 80s. And next month, we'll be going back to our horror catalog with Dead and Buried and The Uninvited. One film, Dead and Buried, was written by Dan O'Brien, Bannon, who wrote the Alien film. And The Uninvited is about a killer cat that basically has a love-hate relationship with a lobster. So it'll be interesting to see where we go with that. And of course, um, <laughs> Bewitched will be coming into that at the same time. So what I'll do is it's Merry Christmas and good night for myself. And good night, Merry Christmas to you, Craig. Good night. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. Uh, and to you too, David. Merry Christmas. Thank you. See you in 2022. Same to you, Keith. And happy Christmas. And let's hope 2022 is a good one for everyone. And let's hope all our dreams come true. Sanitizers is coming, coming to town. <laughs> I actually think that is more, I think it's going to be more talking heads. Same yes. as it ever was. Same as it yeah. ever same was. Same as it <laughs> or as or, <laughs> or same as it never was. Yeah, we'll have a lifetime. Beach and the perfect winter 